The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. I know you men didn't know that you graciously volunteered. I did it for you. So, all right. Um, appreciate you coming out. I told, I told Coe last week, I said, you know, the weather's so bad. Let's, let's move the baptism back a week. Not in Ohio. Dumb, dumb deal in Ohio. So here we are, worse than it was last week. But um, <clears throat> I'm going to ask Coe if she would come up. Uh, she wants to share a little more testimony about what, she, what she's gone through, uh, not in detail, but just to kind of let you know what God has been doing in her life. And uh, let's just look to the Lord in prayer first, shall we? Father, we're so thankful of your amazing grace. We're so thankful as we sung this morning that you are a friend of sinners and you loved us with a cross and you called us in John, in John chapter 15, friends. And we're going to look at that this morning. I thank you, Lord, for Coe's willingness to come and to share her heart. And I pray that you would give her the encouragement and the strength uh, to share it clearly. And I pray that everyone would be attentive to what she has to say in Christ's name. Amen. I'm just going to give you a little bit of um, background information about me first. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I attended church my whole life. Went to a Christian school um, from kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, I was always involved in the youth group. Um, I pretty much, I knew it all. I could quote any verse. I prayed, I worshiped, and everyone that knew me thought that I was the picture-perfect good girl Christian. I married my high school sweetheart um, and carried this same person into our marriage. Um, I taught Sunday school. We helped with the children's programs. We helped in the teen group. Um, We were pretty much involved in every area at church. We were always at church. Um, A little over three and a half years ago, my whole world came crashing down. I was blindsided by the news that my husband, of 18 years at that time, had committed a crime that he was then sentenced to 18 years mandatory prison. completely devastated. But from the very first moment that I heard the news, I never had a single thought of leaving him. I chose from day one to go through this by his side because I loved him and we were in this together for better or for worse. In one year's time, I went from a happily married and a great life to losing my husband to prison, becoming a single mom to our three children, jobless since I had been a stay-at-home mom for 14 years. I had to make hard decisions on my own, including selling pretty much everything we owned to selling our house to going back to college as my only option of being able to take care of my kids long-term, to no choice but to move in with my in-laws. So at 38, I thought I had everything in the world, and I lost it all. Due to my choice to stay with my husband, I lost my entire family. I lost my entire church family as well because many did not agree with my decision to stay married. Others couldn't understand how I could wait 18 years. Um, I had other people, they just didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to respond. They didn't know how to act. Um, So they chose to just walk away. 
I had another pastor tell me that he didn't have time to help me or my kids. And it all basically came down to um, me and my kids and my husband who was in prison. I can pretty much count on one hand those that stayed to support us. It was an incredibly hard year and I was dealing with all of that and still somewhat in shock and denial. I was also dealing with grief, depression, loneliness, and uncertainties and financial pressures. So I chose to deal with it all through addictions of all kinds that had been a part of my life from a very young age that I had kept a secret from everyone, even my husband. Through a series of bad choices and the weight of the guilt from my bad choices, combined with everything that I had lost, led to a night in April 2013 when I thought my only answer was to end my life. I sat in my bathroom with several bottles of pills ready to end it all. But God had other plans. Through divine intervention, God used a good friend and my oldest son to stop me from going through with what I had planned. That night, I realized I had nothing. I had nothing to fall back on. I had nothing to help me. No one I could turn to. No hope. I realized my entire life had been a lie. I was never truly saved, and I needed a savior. I played the part, always knew the right things to say, but it wasn't real. I was horribly lost. So on April 30th, 2013... I cried out in true repentance for God to save me. The longest night of my life, the happiest night of my life. My circumstances didn't change overnight. My husband is still in prison for another 15 years. We still face a very long, difficult road with many hard days ahead. But what did change was that I now have hope. I'm not alone, and I never will be. I would never have chosen for my husband to go to prison. But this I know. Had he not gone, I would still be living a lie and going on with life spiritually lost. I may have lost everything, humanly speaking, but that night I gained everything. I thank God each day for his mercy, his forgiveness, and his grace for sparing my life. Something that I've learned in this journey is that it's not about me. It's not about what I've lost. It's not about how long my husband is in prison or how long until I get back on my own or my financial status or if my family will ever speak to me again. Everything in my life is about him and bringing glory to him, and praising him in the midst of it all, even if I don't understand. And I thank God for bringing me here to grace. I have one last thing I want to share. My son, Ethan wrote this song after he found out about that night that I wanted to end my life. And it perfectly describes that night. Broken and falling apart, all alone and lost in the dark. And I'm quickly fading, so Lord, come save me now. You reached into the dark, I tried to grab it, but I'm torn apart. Oh Lord, Lord, save me. You reached into the dark and raptured my heart. Oh, Lord, save me now, because I'm slowly fading away. I try to be quiet and shut it in, turned away by my guilt, my struggles, my sin. Your grace came upon me, 
and I was broken. Lord, save me. You reached into the dark and raptured my heart. Oh, Lord, save me now, because I'm slow fading away. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me now. say just lost it all but gained a savior and uh, boy we we don't understand what's going on in life but man god is good so continue to pray for coe and her family and um, uh, pray for them circle around them lift them up uh, let her understand the experience of a loving grace family uh because we're thankful you guys are here and uh, you are a family now. So thank you for the courage to stand and give that testimony and uh, we're better for it. Amen? And you know, the songs that were sung, the testimony that was given, it's about the friend we have in Jesus. And this morning we're looking at John 15. Verses 12 through 20. And Jesus said, My commandment is this, to love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not understand his master's doing, but I have called you friends. Because I have revealed to you everything I heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bring forth fruit. Fruit that remains. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. This I command you, that you love one another. Now you're beginning to understand the importance of fruit uh, to our Lord. He emphasizes it over and over again. And this morning, he's going to emphasize another aspect of it as it pertains to friendship. Apart from the 15th chapter of John, in which the Lord Jesus Christ calls his disciples friends, I don't know any other character in the Bible who has ever called the friend except Abraham. And in this case, it's very significant because the nature of the relationship of God to Abraham is an illustration of what Christ is trying to point out right here. Abraham is called a friend of God in James chapter 2, verse 23. And the reference in James is either to 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7, in which Abraham is called your friend, your being God, or Isaiah 41, 8, in which Abraham is called my friend or both. But the significance of the terms is the fact that God spoke freely to Abraham. God shared his heart and his mind with Abraham. The classic example of this is God's conversation with Abraham just before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He said in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 7, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? The answer was no, for the story goes on to record how God revealed the coming destruction of, of, uh, to Abraham and how Abraham, knew, knowing Lot was there, went and interceded on the behalf of those people. You see, communication is essential to friendship. Friends speak to one another. They bear their souls and tell their troubles. They share their aspirations It's no surprise then that in the middle of the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, he talks about friendship. The Lord of glory shares his thoughts with them. I mean, already he's talked to them about his death, his resurrection, about the coming Holy Spirit. And now he does so in reference to his special calling on them to be fruitful in their service. He declares that they are his friends because of verse 15 But I have called you friends because I have revealed to you everything I heard from my Father. 
Now, understand something. Jesus shared with the disciples everything that the Father gave him. And he's done that very same thing with you and I because he recorded it all in this book. All the instructions, all the leading, everything Jesus has given to you and I because we're his friends. So let's look at the fact that I am a friend and not a servant. A servant must do a friend desires to do. Now, one thing that's characteristic of our friends is the autonomy of friendship in the area of choosing who we will be friends with. When you come in contact with someone, one of three things is going to happen. Either you're not going to like them and they're not going to like you and no friendship develops. Or you may like them and they don't like you or vice versa. And again, no friendship develops. Or you hit it up. You have the same interests, you have the same desires, and so a friendship develops because you have kind of a kindred spirit. You, you like the same things, you have kind of the same thoughts and philosophies. But in a striking difference in our passage this morning here is that in these verses, Jesus stresses that we have become friends not because he chose us or not because we chose him, but because he chose us. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, if we think we have chosen him, then we do not sufficiently recognize the depth of our own depravity or recognize the nature of God's grace. We not only fail at being his friends, we actually became his enemies. But having rejected him while we were still sinners, Christ reached out to us to draw us to him. And the friendship is established only when God acts in Christ to remove the barrier. As we've stated so many times in the, back, in the, in the past in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, the unsaved man, he doesn't understand the things of the Spirit. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So it is God that has to reach out to us and quicken us, open our minds and give us the understand to know about this friendship he's offering to us. The friendship is established only after God acts in Christ to remove the barrier. So it is only after he has spoken of laying down his life that his disciples begin to understand this friendship. Also, it is seen in the purpose clause of verse 16, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. And in the command that follows in verse 17, this is my command, love one another. It's not, isn't it not interesting that the same, it's not the same for you and I, that Jesus would command us immediately after calling us friend and command us to do something. Imagine if you had a new friend and suddenly commanded them to do something. You may not have that friendship for long. But notice, this is what Jesus does. And why? The answer is in the nature of the friendship. This is not a friendship between equals. It's between sinful human and God. Consequently, it is full, it is full dimension of the relationship that he pierces our sin, pierces through our rejection, and illuminates us to be his friend. And that means that we always approach him in gratitude, always bearing in mind that the friendship exists because he is stooped to our estate. And once you and I realize that, that he pursued you, he opened your eyes, he removed the barriers, he drew you to him, then our own selfish ambitions are moved aside and his glory and his desire fills our heart. And that's when you and I begin to live under his intent and not our own. So notice now what comes, and that's the privilege. Because having placed the matter of friendship in its proper perspective, the Lord goes on to disclose the privileges of being his friend. Uh, it's in terms of life of a fruitful Christian service. Here the purpose clause emerges not just as a qualification upon the nature of friendship, although that's part of it, but rather as a glorious privilege and destiny of all whom the Lord Jesus Christ calls friends. Look at verse 16 again. You did not choose me, 
But I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that remains, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, the statement of purpose has two parts here. Each is introduced by the same Greek word, hina, which literally means in order that. So what it says in verse 16 is, in order that we might bear fruit. And second, in order that our prayers might be answered. So understand that the relationship that Jesus Christ is building is giving us the tools in order that we might glorify him and find the wherewithal to do what he wants us to do. Now, obviously, at this, is, this is not the first time we've heard about fruit in this chapter. It's repeated over and over again. But it carries the understanding of fruitfulness a step farther here. In all of chapter 15, there, there are several things that take place here. Number one, in the first part of verse 2, the Lord speaks merely of fruit, just fruit. There are no qualifying adjectives. There's nothing to describe it or, or give it any meaning. Simply that the vine, the branch of the vine is to bear fruit. Secondly, in the second half of verse 2, the Lord adds a modifier to the word fruit saying more fruit. So verse 2, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So so here's where you need to begin to just let this fill your heart a little bit because not only are we to bear fruit, we're to bear much fruit. I mean, overwhelming fruit. You and I, our lives are to be so full of fruit that we give God more and more glory. More, it says here, is a searching word. The reason it's a searching word is that uh, as churches and individuals, we are in danger, if nothing less, than becoming like the Laodicean church. That church said, we are rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. And quite frankly, that's what's wrong with the church in America today. We have pretty much everything. Oh, we, We've got our problems. There are some people who have little there are some people who struggle, but in general, the church in, the, in America has much. We need nothing. I know I shared this with you uh, many times back uh, on prayer meeting when we were talking about uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle, and uh, I was at a, uh, a convention at Cedarville one time, and um, he was preaching there to a bunch of pastors. And as Symbola was up there, the question was asked, how come people line up hours before your church on prayer meeting night just to get in. And we can't hardly get people at prayer meeting here. And here was his question. He asked the people, and there was like 200 pastors there. He goes, do you really want the answer? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, how many of you have a car? I'll raise your hand. He said, how many of you have three square meals a day? And how many of you have a roof over your head? Yeah, everybody raise it. He goes, you don't need God. He said, you have to understand, these people are desperate for God. Horrible situations. People who who were living in prostitution and drug addicts, and when God saved them, it was so radical that they have such a hunger to be with God. And he said, the problem in mid-America is we have just enough to keep us happy. And so what do we really need? And so here's what's important for us to understand what Jesus is teaching here because the hardest people there are in the world to live for Christ are Christians who have everything they need. It's tough. And I get that. I hope you get that too. But what Jesus is trying to say here is, look, I've called you friends for a very specific reason. I want you to bear fruit. Do you have any interest in glorifying me? Here's how we can do it. Number three, the verse eight, we have another modifier here. This is to, to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So this speaks of much fruit in the fact that it is much fruit that brings glory to God, not a settled for life, but one that desires much fruit. God is not interested in you just getting by. He is interested in your life producing much fruit. And I think that's where we cut ourselves short so often because we're just content 
with a common life. Now understand that if it is much fruit that the glory of God is talking about, doesn't it make sense that the Spirit will give us the tools to bring it? So when we're content to just slide by, we are spurning the gift and the tools to be a glorious child of God and bring glory to Him, and we become like the Laodicean church, who is content just to be where they are. And then number four, finally we come to the last stage in the progression of verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, notice, fruit that remains, so that whatever you ask of the Father, He will give it to you. Not all fruit lasts. Fruit spoils. And the fruit that you and I try to produce will spoil too. But when Christ works in you, the vine through the branch to produce fruit, that fruit remains. And that's the kind of life he's encouraging us to live here this morning. That is the kind of life he wants us to live. Now, notice that if Christ is working in you, we find ourselves gaining answered prayer. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that remains so that, in order that, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, this promise is now repeated from previous promises. Chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. Chapter 15, verse 7. It would be understandable to believe that the reason it's repeated is just so we can hear it again to be reminded of what it is. But as you consider the context in which Jesus is speaking of here, I believe he's now talking about intercessory prayer. What is more powerful than to know our Lord is asking you to pray for ones we love on their behalf and that he will give the right answer? Think about that. Think of what Koei has been through and what she shared, and yet as people prayed for her, she came to Christ in the midst of that. God will work through every situation when you allow him to bear fruit in your life. And the prayers that you bore are the prayers from heaven. So this brings us then to a very important area, and that is loving each other is not an option. Verse 17 this is a this I command you to love one another. Now it's not the first time this command has been given. In John chapter 13 verse 34 through 35, I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. In other words, this is part of the reason we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves. This is part of the reason we come to church, hear the word, worship, honor God, but the love and friendship that we have for each other is what it's about. This is what God is encouraging us to do. John 15, verse 12, my commandment is this, to love one another just as I have loved you. Now, why this constant repetition? Because we, because we don't love one another or we only confine our love to certain people? John really understood this because he talks about it over and over again in his, uh, his book to the Asians in First, uh, First, uh, First John. Excuse me. But the idea he is trying to get through to you and I is loving each other is a tremendous testimony. He said, look at verse 35 again. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Let me tell you one of the greatest testimonies that you can have in the world today is your love for each other. Why is that so critical? Because everybody in the world wants to be loved. Everybody in the world is searching for love, right? It sounds like a country song. But they're all searching in the wrong places. But listen, when you and I love each other, when you and I have the compassion and real care for each other that's God-ordained and that fruit is being bared in the life of you and me, people see that and they want it. And that's one of the, reasons, one of the ways the Holy Spirit draws people to churches 
That's one of the ways he brings them in. Now, I want you to observe three things that, that fall under this that I think is important. Number one, love prays for one another. Love prays for one another. Job is one of the greatest examples of this in the Bible. And you know what? I think it's something that is often missed in the book of Job. Job had lost everything. You know the story. Everything was taken away from him. Satan attacked him. And then in the last chapter of the book of Job, in Job 42, we read this verse, and this is significant. Job 42, verse 10. So the Lord restored what Job had lost. Notice, after he prayed for his friends. And the Lord doubled all that, hit, that belonged to him. When did God bless him? After he prayed for his friends. You remember his friends were the ones that really kind of, they, they claimed to be being his friends, but they gave him all kinds of bad advice. Even his wife said, Job, curse God and die. You know, you must have done something horrible. But they claimed to be encouraging him. They claimed to be his friends. But right at the end of this book, God says to him, the Lord restored what Job had lost after he prayed for his friends. You got someone in your life that's really tough to love? You ever spend time on your knees praying for those difficult people? That's what Job was instructed to do. Love prays for one another. Secondly, love stands by when the friend is in trouble. Solomon knew what this was to have a friend that was close in Proverbs 18, 24. A person who has friends may be harmed by them, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And he indicates the same thing in Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. Now, why? Because Jesus loved us while we were still sinners. You see, you can't ever forget the truth. You and I were lost in sin. And Jesus loved us while we were still sinners. And so he instructs you and I to love others just as he did. John 15, 12, to love one another just as I have loved you. Now, how is this possible? Only by the Spirit of God dwelling in your heart. And when you surrender to Jesus Christ, not just for salvation, but in your daily life, turning everything over to him, the Spirit gains control of your life. Now it's the Spirit living through you. And you can love anybody through the power of God. And you know, Christians get a very bad rap. I've really experienced this this past week and being down at um, Riverside Hospital, visiting patients who would try to commit suicide gay lifestyle. And I tried to tell her that God loves her and everything. And she goes, but Christians hate me. Why do Christians hate you? Because they hate gays. You see, that's what they hear. Why do they hear that? Because we're quick to point out all the fallacies of everybody else. But when Jesus came, he said, I didn't come to judge. I came to make a ransom. And you and I as the church need to walk in that same love and share the love of Christ. Who else is going to do it? Who else is going to do it? And so you and I need to understand that love prays for all and love stands by when people are in trouble. And then third, love gives and gets. Luke 11, 5 through 6. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine is supposed, is stopped, well, excuse me, has stopped here while on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now the friend is reluctant to get up, and who wouldn't be tucked away in the middle of the night, nice and comfortable? But eventually the friend got up and took care of his friend. The point being that the superior worth of the friendship of God who gives to all men liberally and is not hard to be entreated. And then the parable ends with verse 9. So I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. When? After you give. After you give your heart in friendship. 
You know, we, we heard a very troubling story about what Coe went through with the church that just kind of left her, just walked away from her because they couldn't handle it. That's when the church needs to embrace and love and shower with love and hug and be there every step of the way. That's what bears fruit. And that's the fruit that we give back to God in glorifying Jesus Christ. And that's what friends do. And that's why Jesus in this passage in John 15, knowing full well that very quickly he's going to leave. Very quickly he's going to be crucified. He's going to raise again on the third day. And then he's going to go back to his heavenly father and he's telling him, look, I'm going, but you got to be friends. A friend sticks close. A friend loves no matter what. Be my friends. Bear much fruit. And let the world know that you follow me. Because in that friendship, the world will know that you are there. In John chapter 17, when we, we're not too far away from there, uh, technically not too far away from there, John chapter 17, he, Jesus in his high priest prayer, he prays to God. And he says, God, let them be one just as you and I are one, so the world may know that you sent me. Your unity as a church lets the world know that God sent Jesus Christ. Why? Because he sees it in you. That's the fruit. That's the command that all of us have been given today, to go out and spread the gospel. So the story stresses the willingness of God to supply needs. You know, Grace Fellowship Church is known as a friendly church. But are we known as friends of sinners? Are we friends with the lost? Do we take the love of God who loved us while we were still sinners and go into the world and let them know that we love them? Do we take this love every day and let people know we love them? And when they come back at us and go, no, Christians don't love, Christians don't know. No, no, you're right. A lot of Christians have a bad rep. But... My Bible tells me to love. And I want you to know I love you. And I want to share Christ. It's so much easier to share Christ in that way through love and compassion than it is with a hammer. And that's what God is doing, speaking through you and I to share that compassion and love. Do you love? Do you love the people who are unlovely? Do you have a compassion? Because God has called us friends. He has called you and I his friends. Think about that. We are a friend of God. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. A friend that will never leave us nor forsake us. A friend who said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I change not. In the way I loved Abraham and Moses and Isaac, I love you. And I gave myself for you. Will you take that love outside these walls? and let people know the real Christ. We're going to listen to a song here, and as we're listening to it, I want to ask the deacons to come down to prepare for communion. But if God has spoken to your heart, you want to just come and and kneel and pray, please do that while this song is playing. friend of sinners the truth's become so hard to see the world is on their way to you but they're tripping over me always looking around but never looking up I'm so double-minded a plank-eyed saint with dirty hands and a heart divided oh Jesus Friend of sinners Open our eyes to the world At the end of our pointing fingers 
Help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. What we're for, only what we're against When we judge the wounded What if we put down our signs Crossed over the lines And love like you did Oh Jesus Friend of sinners Open our eyes to the world At the end of our pointing fingers Let our hearts be Led by
that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this is our custom here to join hands and sing a hymn together, and you'll have to pack in because... On empty spots this morning. much this morning for being warm on the inside while it's cold outside. Thank you for these folks who have braved the cold, and I just pray that you would continue to take the message of our friendship and the fruit that you want to bear through us to a dying world, that they might see Jesus in us. Be glorified as we give you all the praise and glory, and all God's people said, Amen.